HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Hearst Ranch, the nation's largest single-source supplier of free-range, all-natural, grass-fed, and grass-finished beef. For more information, visit HearstRanch.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. All right. Thank you for tuning in to the Heritage Radio Network. You're listening to The Farm Report, and I'm your host, Aaron Fairbanks. We are coming to you live from the back of Roberta's Pizza in beautiful Bushwick, Brooklyn. And I'm excited to have a real live studio guest. Um, we are in studio with Lucky Lee of Lucky's Real Tomatoes. Lucky, welcome to the show. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks for inviting me. Glad to be here. So if folks are curious where chefs like Daniel Balud, Eric Repair, and all the team from the Union Square Hospitality Groups uh, get their tomatoes, stay tuned because we're about to find out. Um, Lucky, your, your family has been in the tomato business for, gosh, like 30 plus years, isn't yes. that right? Yes, we have. So where, where, where did it begin? Like, take us, take us back. Well, it's kind of an interesting story. Uh, we were in the music business, and one of my singers and I were a duo. We had a traveling show band. Our dad was our manager. Our brother did the sound and lights. We had another sister that designed the costumes. So whatever we've done, it's always been a family project. That was a lot of fun. But we were performing at Resorts International in Atlantic City and got a call that we had an illness in the family, a terminal illness. And so when our engagement ended at Resorts, we sold our house in Boston, moved down to Florida to take care of family and ended up spending about a year there and on the weekends picking fresh tomatoes. And having been from New England, as you know, the local season up here is three months and the off-season is nine months in, in Florida. It's reversed. And we would see all these people walking into supermarkets buying gas tomatoes while they drove by fields with fresh tomatoes on the way. We thought that was a little crazy. So we would just pick fresh tomatoes on the weekends and started selling them. And then uh, our mom came to New York to train for Wall Street, and we decided we'd come up and visit her. And our dad said, well, why don't you pick a couple hundred cases of tomatoes, rent a truck, and drive it to New York and sell them? And that was the beginning of a company, Aaron, because it was in the middle of winter. We had red, juicy tomatoes, 
And the chefs took one look at them and said, where the heck did you get these and can you bring more? And so we realized that there was a niche that we could fill in the New York market, and that's how the company started. And now you're in the tomato business, selling to some <laughs> of the city's best restaurants. And I think you can find, you know, if you check in with the vegetable butcher over at Italy, they'll give you some of the lucky tomatoes. So now uh, tell us, like, where what does the operation look like today? You're still growing in Florida, and then you're doing distribution in New York, or what's the kind of scope of the, the system right now? Nine months, the tomatoes are grown in Florida. And then in the summer months, it's too hot there. So we grow in the Smoky Mountains of North Carolina. And my brother, Al Marcelli, who is the president of the company, uh, has established wonderful relationships. And we just realized yesterday this is our 26th year with the same growers in North Carolina. Wow, congratulations. And, um, I mean, what makes our company different and what makes our tomatoes different is that they're all grown in America. They're all grown in the ground and we don't pick them until they're almost ripe. And when we began in the industry back in the late 70s, there were two types of tomatoes. There were the gas green tomatoes, and then there were imports. And so when we came on the scene with a year-round flavorful tomato, that's what made it so successful. So we started, actually I started very much like you started. I heard an interview that you did and you said you were one of the four female drivers in New York City. <laughs> so if I was the other one, who were the other two? Yeah, we're going to have to hunt them down. <laughs> um, so in the early days, that's just it. I bought a little used truck and drove around, knocked on doors. I always had a, a knife on my belt and tomatoes in my hand. 25-pound box of tomatoes over my shoulder, actually. And at that time, we didn't worry about purchasing agents or any of that. We didn't worry about appointments. We just walked in the kitchen door and said, hey, chef, got to taste this. And that's how the company started. So it was a few restaurants. I mean, today it's several hundred restaurants in the city and out of the city. We do ship nationwide. And the way our business has grown has been through food service distributors, some of the larger companies like Baldor, J. King's, uh, some very large companies that come and pick up at our place and then distribute to their customers. So by truck, we reach New England, Boston, Washington, Philly, and then we fly to other locations like Dallas, Vegas, the West Coast. And the the farmers that you're working with, you know, when the company started, you guys um, obviously were in the position to kind of find people to partner with. And how did those relationships develop and how, how to, have they grown? Um, I mean, it sounds like they're long-term relationships. They are, and I would say, Aaron, that they're built on trust. We ask farmers to do something that goes against the grain in terms of their financial compensation. For example, a given acre of tomatoes might yield 1,500 tomatoes if you pick them green. If you wait another week, they're a little bit pink. If you wait two more weeks, they're almost ripe. So what we do is because we wait so long for them to become riper, Obviously, the yield from that acre is much less. And so when I say the relationships are built on trust, it's because my brother Alan has said to them, whatever you grow, if you leave it on the vine until it's ripe enough for our customers, we will buy them and and you're covered. And so it's been that handshake trust relationship for all these years. Also, these are farmers that, that live what they do. These are farmers that if they have a good year, they have a good Christmas I mean, they live on their farms. So when you talk about sustainable farming, their houses are many times right across the street from where they're growing their tomatoes. And so when I'm, I'm the, this idea of like gassing tomatoes, I mean, it's something I know a little bit about, but 
But for folks who, who might not be uh, super familiar with that, maybe you can explain what other companies, not Lucky's, do, to, do tomatoes and what kind of a tomato that you might just pick up at the supermarket you know, why it's so different from what you guys are doing. One of the biggest complaints you hear about tomatoes in supermarkets is that the tomatoes taste like cardboard. They actually taste like the packaging they come in. And the reason for that is tomatoes commercially are picked very green like Granny Smith apples. And then they're put in a room and they release ethylene gas, which turns them to sort of an orange color. It never really ripens the tomato. They call it force ripening. But the truth is it never gets red, and it never has a lot of juice, and it never tastes great. Now, what that enables the growers to do and the supermarkets to do is to hold those tomatoes for up to a couple months if they need to. And they're able to ship them across the country uh, and hold them. And they actually can play it almost like the stock market, where if they see a freeze coming or a hurricane, they can pick green tomatoes, hold them in coolers until that has passed so they have enough supply. It also enables them to mark the cost up to whatever the going market rate would be. We call a Lucky's Real Tomato an honest tomato because it's grown in real time, it's picked in real time, and it's all picked and eaten within a week. The other thing you mentioned is that uh, all your tomatoes are grown in the ground. So, uh, again, what's the alternative to that? The alternative is greenhouses and hydroponic and you know back in the early 80s when I mentioned there were the gas green tomatoes and imported tomatoes there really wasn't much in regards to greenhouse or hothouse tomatoes this is something that's grown pretty much over the last decade and what makes them popular is that they're aesthetically perfect they're round they're a nice red color you don't see blemishes on them what most often is missing from those tomatoes is the flavor because the flavor, the nutrients, the vitamins, the flavor comes from the minerals in the soil and then the photosynthesis from the sun makes those tomatoes sweet. So when you remove those elements, you're talking about a, I hate to say fabricated tomato, but it sure isn't grown the way nature intended. And what, you know, there's been obviously uh, a huge, you know, rise in interest, uh, I think, in tomatoes that has come along with the increased interest in, you know, pur- pur- purchasing things regionally and, you know, people looking into heirloom varieties. And I'm curious, like, what are what are the varieties of tomatoes that you that you guys produce? And, and do you have kind of a t- do I go and like flip through the tomato lookbook and kind of pick <laughs> um, like where, where do you how do you choose kind of what to grow and when to grow? You know, the the growers decide, basically we choose based on flavor. And we don't choose based on durability or how long that tomato is going to last. Because we are purists in the industry. And we think a person should eat a tomato because it tastes great. And all the other ways that they can alter a tomato to make it more durable for shipping or lasting longer removes the basic reason people would want to eat a great-tasting tomato. You look at that uh, Jersey tomato, the Holy Grail. They're famous because of the flavor. And, you know, about 15 years ago, they trademarked the Jersey tomato and they changed some of the elements so that they could take that wonderful local tomato and send it out to other locations. But again, whenever you start fooling around with what's inside a tomato, then it does take something away from the original reason to eat it. 
What, so I'm thinking about the apple industry in, in New York State. I mean, we, we produce a lot of apples here, but there's a need for kind of a, a secondary market for apple seconds, you know, apples that aren't going to be super pretty that someone's going to pick up off the shelf of in a supermarket. And I'm wondering, do you guys deal exclusively with, um, you know, fresh tomatoes? And, and if so, um, you know, what happens to the, the tomatoes that kind of don't make the luckiest cut? And if not, um, you know, what are some of the other things that happen to them? Well, it's a good question, Aaron, because we deal in a ripe tomato, and in the winter months we're driving at 1,000 miles on our own tractor trailers. Um, there are some that don't make it. They're overripe or they're bruised. And so we, we like to be very conscious of using every tomato if we can, as the chefs do. You go to any kitchen, now you are a chef, you know that you want to use every single portion of, of food because it's the right thing to do. So basically we make a cooking and chopping box. And even the best chefs in New York, four-star chefs, will buy our first quality tomatoes without softness or blemishes for certain dishes. But if they're going to make sauce or concasse or something like that, then they'll use the cooking and chopping. And that's, you know, that's a great way to, to use all of the product that comes up. Another thing that's kind of unique about you guys, you, am I correct that you, you have ownership over all kind of parts of your system from the, the trucks, the, I mean, like where do you have ownership and control and where do you kind of work with other partners? I'm really glad you brought that up. We have what you call a closed loop system. And what that means is from the moment the tomato is picked, it goes on our own tractor trailers and is kept at 55 to 60 degrees. Those tractor trailers are driven by our employees. They go to our warehouses and then get shipped on our trucks to the end user. And so long before traceability and food safety became an issue, luckily we had started this process back in the early 80s. So when all these regulations came in about knowing where your product has been, knowing what truck it's been on, um, we'd, we'd been doing all that since we began the company. So I'm guessing that like your your ability to engage with a, a HACCP plan was much, you know, we had a much lower barrier as far as getting that going. We passed it first time around, <laughs> proudly. <laughs> and, and is this model, I'm assuming, is it pretty different from other folks, you know, maybe not in the tomato world, but other kind of growers who are focused on a, a particular crop? I mean, is there like a Lucky's version of a broccoli grower or are you guys pretty unique in the model i think the tomato is a different animal for most other fruits and vegetables not fruits i think fruits are a little bit delicate too because you you don't want to pick it when it's completely unripe you certainly don't want to deliver it or eat it when it's completely unripe so there is a balance there and i think the word we're looking for is the ripeness factor so in vegetables i don't think it matters that much but in fruits that's a very, very hard thing to do. I mean, some people say, oh, you're in the ripeness business, and this is true, because you don't, you know, we're known for delivering a box of tomatoes that the chef, that Daniel Balud or the Danny Meyer group or the Palm Steakhouses open the box, slice the tomato, and use it right away, that they don't have to put it on a shelf and store it for a couple of days waiting for it to ripen. And I'm just curious if you know, I mean, how many tomatoes are we talking about? I mean, how do you, <laughs> what's the scale? Millions of pounds. Yeah. Because, we, you know, we sell them in a single-layer box, a 10-pound box, a double-layer box. We sell them in a bulk box. Um, we've just started with this, this new Tasty Lee tomato about a year ago, and um, 
for those of you listening out there, we brought props for this. Now, we realize it's radio, but um, Aaron and I are sitting here at this extraordinary setting at Roberta's, and the people out there are eating pizza and salads, and we're sitting in here looking at a fire engine red tasty Lee tomato that I'm going to ask Aaron to cut because it's pretty phenomenal to be in wintertime and have a red juicy tomato and have it 12 months a year. This tasty Lee tomato is grown by Bejo Seeds, and this has been a wonderful addition to our line of tomatoes. It is crimson red on the outside, crimson red on the inside, slices very consistently. I'd slice it the other way, yeah. I slice it the other way. <laughs> this way? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it has a sweet flavor profile. And this tomato was made firm enough for retail. And so this has enabled Lucky's, after all these years of doing food service in the best restaurants, to actually go and deliver to places like Agatha and Valentina, Italy, um, to Darrow Market, the Gourmet Garages. And you will find the Tasty Lee tomatoes throughout the country in various retail stores. So, Lucky, I'm curious, you know, a lot of times on the show we talk about... um, you know, building kind of regional economies and the importance of buying local. And obviously we live in a global economy and consumers have come to expect um, to, to have access to produce at all times. And some people take a stance that you should not eat a tomato in, you know, November, December, January, February, most of, most of the year in this region. And I'm just curious, you know, have you guys um, gotten pushback in that area or have you seen your your market share does it change in the summer months here and and how you would respond to like those types of uh critiques or feedback um that's a really good question our sales actually go up in the summertime even though we're shipping from the smoky mountains of north carolina i respect the profound concept of local eating in reality it doesn't always come through as easily as you would hope. For example, that would simply mean that all winter we'd be eating potatoes 17 ways. Now, we grow the tomatoes in Florida in the winter months because in Florida it's the perfect growing conditions. It may be a 1,000 miles away, but it is 80 degrees and sunny and the perfect place to grow them, so they are local to Florida. Now, I have heard, you know, arguments both ways. I have... I also understand that if you were to grow in the wintertime a tomato in a greenhouse up here, so it's grown a mile away from the end user, that could actually cost more money than to grow it in the ground a thousand miles away where it was meant to be grown and then to, to be driven up here. There was a great article in the New York Times that said, do the numbers, and it addresses exactly this point, that the concept of local eating is admirable and to be respected, but it, it doesn't work 12 months a year. And you'll even find chefs sneaking out and, and, and ordering, <laughs> ordering you know, different items from different places because you can't support a well-balanced menu without all these different items. Well, I'm definitely enjoying a little slice of the tastily tomato. We are going <laughs> to take a short break, and I'm going to eat a few more slices. And when we come back, we'll continue our tomato talk with Lucky Lee of Lucky's Tomato. So stay tuned. You're listening to iJam by Knife Show 
on the Heritage Radio Network.org. Like what you hear so far? Support the network and become a member. Membership helps us bring you the best food radio in the world and gives you access to thousands of dollars in discounts at the sustainably-minded businesses that support us. To become a member, visit heritageradionetwork.org today. Ranch grass-fed beef, pasture raised on 150,000 acres in Central California. Hearst Ranch grass-fed beef, free-range, sustainably produced, humane. Hearst Ranch grass-fed beef, the authentic flavor of the American West. All right, we are back. You are tuned into the Farm Report on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Aaron Fairbanks, and we are in studio with Lucky Lee of Lucky's Tomatoes, um, tasting some more tomatoes during the break. Getting getting my what are the nutrient values? Uh, of lycopene, uh, vitamin A, vitamin C. Lycopene's the big one. Yeah, and, and the tomato is almost gone. Just so everybody out there knows, she <laughs> she loved it, <laughs> but I helped. So um, one of the things I saw on your website was a uh, that I was a little confused about was talking about um, an ozone based um, sanitation process mm-hmm. for cleaning the tomatoes, and I wonder if you can tell us a little bit about what that is. Absolutely, uh, my brother Al Marcelli is a very smart guy. And is Al listening? You're like, Al, I promise I'll, I'll prop you up. <laughs> he's not listening, actually. He's in a tomato field in Florida. Um, but you remember about seven or eight years ago, all these claims about the salmonella and all the, the illnesses started to come about. Well, about two years before that, my brother decided that we should have something in place to help sanitize the tomatoes and prevent against things like that. Um, in the very beginning of the company, Dad actually said, you know, you need to wash those tomatoes before you give them to the restaurants. I mean, that's how far back our concern about food safety goes. So ozone is a process that, uh, when it's used in the wash water, it kills topical salmonella 99%. And we also release it into the holding rooms where we have our tomatoes, and it neutralizes the negative pathogens in the air and helps to sanitize uh, the places that they're being held also keeps our employees healthier. So is ozone is the name of like a cleaning product it, it's, or it's, a, system? It's a system? I don't system. understand. It's, it's the name of a system. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I mean, obviously it's like 
safe to safe to eat. But if I can, you see it? Like, could I spray it on a tomato? Like, I no, mean, you no, you you can't see it. Uh, it's released into the air like a gas. Um, and one of the great things is about five or six years ago, you rem- may remember there was a scare, a, a tomato scare. Uh, it turned out to be jalapeno peppers. And, you know, when you're a specialty company, you, you lay awake at night saying, okay, if your product gets hit, what are you going to do? And I'm really proud to say that this system and, and our procedures at Lucky's Real Tomatoes got us through with flying colors because most other tomato companies had to dump everything they had in their warehouses because they still hadn't identified where the tomatoes they thought were infected came from. And because of our own sown system and our traceability, we knew where every single case of tomatoes had come from, and our business actually went up 25%. That's so interesting talking to um, you know businesses like yours, producers who are who are producing at, at a, a much larger scale than I than I think a lot of the farmers that I bring through because you do have to think about all these different steps in the process and the traceability um, back along the line. But um, speaking of getting hit, you know, you guys got got pretty roughed up by the Super Storm Sandy this past fall, didn't you? As a lot of people did. You know, and our hearts go out to the homeowners that didn't have flood insurance. Most didn't. And obviously a lot of companies were hit. We are, we lo- are located in North Brooklyn, and of course we were hit too. But, you know, there's something about this industry, Aaron, that I absolutely love, and it's the generosity of people in the food business. Uh, anytime there's a, a natural disaster, the food industry comes together to see who they can help and who they can feed. And even our farmers in North Carolina, the Rotary Clubs got together and donated clothes, blankets, water, baked beans. And on each one of our trucks that came up for two months following Sandy, we designated the space for two skids of supplies to come up from the Rotary Clubs. And then we connected to the Rotary Clubs up here, and they distributed the product. Nice. You're going to, like, go along the chain. And how about how about your own facility and staff? Did everyone come through the storm okay? Our people's homes came through okay. We had a little bit of damage, but because our, our systems are in place, we had fresh tomatoes. Uh, 36 hours later, my brother was on the job and <laughs> got us new product. Our trucks were stop. not affected, so um, everything went through and went on. Uh, we felt bad for all those restaurants that were south of 37th Street that had to close for so long. Um, what about, I'm curious about packaging and, and, and transport, both for the wholesale market, but then you guys also have, I'm looking at the Tasty Lee package, which you could put on a supermarket shelf. Um, can you talk a little bit about uh, packaging in the vegetable, or and the fruit, I guess tomatoes are a fruit, uh, industry and, and what you've seen over the years with uh, you know technological innovations or lack thereof to get tomatoes, especially when you're dealing with you know kind of the ripened, more delicate fruits. All of the improvements have gone towards saving the environment, which is such a good thing. And even the package you're looking at, that's biodegradable. And so any of the packaging that's used is, is for two reasons. It's to protect the people and it's to protect the fruit. So if that's sitting in a supermarket shelf, uh, it's protected from the 10 women that pick it up and maybe one out of the 10 won't buy it, but it, in terms of the handling and the sanitation of the product, the packaging helps quite a bit. But whatever we do in terms of packaging, um, we need boxes and we need packages. All we can do to be socially conscious of the environment is to choose the right products and choose the companies that will provide us with the right products. And have you seen like a lot of innovation in that area? I mean, do people do you have people kind of knocking at your door, pitching new kind of transport 
mechanisms and variety, or, or you're kind of like stick stick with who you know and and innovate as they innovate. You know, our our ears and eyes are always open. We tend to be a very relationship oriented company, and if we find reputable, trustworthy, good people that do business in the right way, we like to stay with them while always keeping an eye open for whatever else might be coming along that might be better. But typically, if we're working with those right people, they have already discovered what's better, and they're the ones that tell us about it. How many tomatoes do you eat on a weekly basis? Are you, are you still, I mean, you, your family's been in the business for 30 plus years. That's a lot of tomatoes. Uh, is this something that you, still makes it way to your fridge or are you more like tasting for quality control throughout the day? Well, you know, I like to think of myself as a very friendly person, but I'm a tomato snob. <laughs> and when I, when I go out to a restaurant, if it isn't a lucky tomato, I mean, I'll taste it. I'll, I'll give it the old college try, but I'm spoiled. Yeah, I've been eating field-grown American sun-ripened tomatoes for 30 years. Uh, so I, I eat them for breakfast. I put them in eggs. I eat them for lunch on a BLT. I have them for dinner. Put them in the greatest guacamole in, in the world. Rosa Mexicano Restaurants uses our tomatoes and their guacamole for 30 years. Um, as a matter of fact, the James Beard Foundation just made us the official tomato purveyor. <laughs> and, and we've also started a couple of programs with the CIA. The one both here in Hyde Park, and then I just came back from Napa. Uh, with the one out there to to educate tomorrow's chefs to be using an American field grown sun ripened tomato the way nature intended. Oh, for a second, I'm envisioning you like smuggling tomatoes into the back of like the Central Intelligence Agency, and I was like, oh, what, some kind of tomato <laughs> program? Like, I wonder what that's about. But no, of course, the Culinary Institute of America, right? <laughs> um, well, we are just about out of time, but I'm just curious. You know, what does the what's the future look like for you at Lucky's? Um, you know, what do you guys see yourself um, kind of focusing on and working towards in the next decade? We'd like to be a meaningful part of an industry that is headed towards keeping Americans healthier. And it does start with kids. So that's why we're getting so involved with the CIA schools and with local schools and programs, because really our health depends on what we eat. It always has. It's just there's so much more awareness now. And really, as it applies to tomorrow's chefs and as it applies to young kids growing up, to know what, what fresh fruits and vegetables are and what their value is. Nice. Well, take a look on your shelves for the, the Lucky Tomatoes or visit their website, www.luckytomatoes.com. Um, thanks so much for tuning in. This has been another episode of The Farm Report. Uh, this, like all 30 of our live weekly programs, are available as a free download through iTunes. You can also find us on Stitcher Smart Radio. We are a member-supported nonprofit organization, and if you like what you hear, we hope you'll consider supporting us by clicking the Donate tab on our website. Make sure to tune in next Thursday for another episode of The Farm Report, and keep your uh, internet radio dials on, on, on stay because we're going to have the Grow NYC market update just after the show. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a non-profit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.
what's hot at the green market? You're about to find out now. It's the Grow NYC Market Update. All right, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Grow NYC Market Update. We are on the line with Gene Hodesh of the New York City Green Markets. Gene, what is shaking up at the markets? Hi, Erin. Well, I was just on the phone with Hawthorne Valley Farm, and I was walking through the market yesterday. It was uh, awfully rainy at Union Square, but uh, Hawthorne Valley was still there, and I have been hooked lately on their 100% Hawthorne Valley rye bread, um, and it's... Uh, there's rye bread available in the market, and there has been for years from various different vendors. But what's special about this bread is that it's all rye that they grew themselves on the farm, and um, they're a biodynamic farm, so it's sort of a closed system. So they grew the rye, they cleaned it, they milled it, and they baked it all on their one site, which is pretty unique because that requires a lot of infrastructure on the farm. So anyways, I called the farmer just to chat a little bit about what's going on up there. And, you know, this time of year, people are getting their fields ready to start planting for the next season. So, um, you know, really common cover crop in this area is uh, rye. And usually people just sort of, you know, till it back into the soil when they're ready to start planting. But about four or five years ago, they decided they wanted to start growing rye to plant as a crop that people could eat. And so in September, they had this, like, community sowing the, the seeds of the future, they called it. All these community members came and they planted rye out in the field and they've been doing it ever since. And so this year, um, the new product that's come out of that project is the 100% rye bread and it's just, is a really, really delicious product, highly recommended. Um, And so basically, I mean, the interesting thing about, we've been talking a lot about grains at Green Market and I know you've had June Russell who's working on that initiative on your show before. Um, And... More farmers in the region are growing grains at this point, but basically the, the next step is that we need more infrastructure in order to process them. So um, Hawthorne Valley, you know, they have a bakery on their farm, and they had a mill on their farm also, but in order to clean the rye, they had to work with Wild Hive Farm, which is another farm close to them, and it's also in the green market system. So they took the product there to have the, the grains cleaned and then brought them back to their farm to, to have them milled. So their next step that they're working on is trying to raise funds or get a grant to get a, a cleaning device for for their own farm. And they're thinking about innovative ways to do that. Maybe they can invest in infrastructure that other farmers in the region will be able to use on their farm um, and just trying to figure out how to make it most useful, not just for them and their products, but for sort of the collective well-being of this burgeoning grains movement in the region. So... It's exciting, and it means that, you know, new products come down into the city. So I would definitely recommend when people are out at markets, stop by Hawthorne Valley and, and pick up some of their 100% rye bread. Um, and they're in, in our Inwood Market, and they're at Columbia, and they're also in Union Square. Nice. And you had mentioned that Hawthorne Valley is is a biodynamic farm, so I know that they've got more going on with bread, but maybe you can give us uh, a little sense of, of what else we can look for from them. Sure. So they've been farming on their land. It's 400 acres, and they've been up there since 1972. And biodynamic farming, it's a concept developed by Rudolf Steiner. So it's a farm that can produce everything it needs from within itself so that it might become self-contained 
you know, community. Um, and I asked him what else was going on at the farm this time of year, and specifically in their greenhouses. And he said, oh, yeah, we just cleaned out one, and we, we are going to have a ton of spinach at Union Square on Saturday, which is very exciting because, to me, that's when I really start to think spring is maybe finally on its way. So they pulled out the spinach, and then in another greenhouse, they're cleaning out the beds. They're putting in their seeds for tomatoes to get the, the starters ready so they can get those in the ground as soon as um, the weather warms up a little bit more for their cherry tomatoes. Um, and then their bakery goes year-round. Um, another thing that you'll find at the Hawthorne Valley stand, no matter what time of year it is, is a really fantastic sauerkraut and kimchi. Um, so this time of year, they've got interns working on making both of those products. Um, and it's just, you know, before things get too busy with building fences and pulling weeds, um, they're they're working on their sauerkraut and kimchi, which is if you've never had it before, it is like you feel yourself getting healthier as you eat it. It's really powerful, strong stuff. Um, and then the other thing I mentioned, their interns, um, because it's you know an educational uh, farm, um, they have a really great internship program. So their new crop of interns just arrived. So they've been there for about three weeks. So this time of year, it's getting the greenhouses ready and preparing their staff for the season ahead. And they're really excited that this year they're sending some of their interns down to the markets so that they can learn about the marketing side of becoming a farmer, which is really valuable information to have. So, you know, you can't just have a cooler full of products. Uh, it won't sell itself. You need to have someone down in the city talking to customers and engaging them. So I would recommend if you stop over at their farm stand, you can also ask them more about what it means to be biodynamic and, and what they're working on, making cheese or kimchi or what they're baking and, and how they're growing. They'll be full of information. Nice. I think that's like one of the things I like about stopping at the Hawthorne stand is I feel like I can get all the ingredients for a picnic lunch in Union Square. Yeah, right there. I mean, they have amazing cheeses, too, that go with the bread um, and go with the pickles. Um so he was saying that this time of year their cows aren't out on the grass just yet, um, but that they've got all kinds of, they have a lot of harder aged cheese that they have from last year. So they've got raclette and more sharper cheeses. And then when the cows go back outside, their milk changes because there's more carotene in it from the grass that they're eating. So that's when they'll start to make um, their fresh cheeses and bring those down into the market in a couple weeks. Um, and then he reminded me that, you know, obviously baking goes year-round, but I was surprised he said we have a lot of uh, zucchini turnovers because they had a bunch of zucchini last year. So they managed to preserve the zucchini, so they're still using that and um, baking with it to make fresh zucchini turnovers. So another nice treat to look for at their stand. Yeah, anything green is good for me this time of year. Well, more green talk. I think you guys have some interesting events coming up. Why don't you give us a, a little bit of a sense of what we should be looking for? Yeah, so um, coming up this Saturday, June is teaching a short course on grain processing um, at the Glenwood Center. So if you look on our uh, Green Market Events page, there's a link if you'd like to sign up. I think there's still a little bit of space. It's pretty technical. It's for people who are really thinking about wanting to grow grain and, and learning how to process it and, and bake with it. Uh, so there's that. And then also I wanted to mention at Union Square on Saturday, we've got a stock-making demonstration at the Infotent at 11 a.m., and then next week on Monday, um, this is an event that we're participating in, but there's the big Farm to City Expo happening at the Jacob Javits Center um, from noon to 4. So all the information for that is also listed on our website. But 
definitely a great opportunity to learn more about what we're doing with Green Market Co. and just uh, engage with people who are growing food in the region and learning how to source it for your restaurant or whatever food business you have. Awesome. Jean, thanks so much for taking some time to give us another great update and make us really hungry like you do every week. (laughs) Um, If folks want to find out more about what's happening, they can find all the information at www.grownyc.org. Also, uh, follow them on Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram, Tumblr, whatever is your social media of choice. Uh, Just keep Keep, keep up on what's happening at the, the green markets and tune in next week for another Grow NYC market update. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.